Today is Thursday, May 21. We have been doing the pamphlet called Party Building and Political Leadership. Three speeches of world significance written by party comrades. One of them is William Z. Forster, who was the General Secretary of the Communist Party USA in the 30s and after the reinstitution of the party in 1944-45. Also, Alex Bittleman, another leader of the Central Committee. James Ford, African-American, who is the candidate for vice president of the party. And another comrade, Charles Crumber. So what we have been talking about is the role of the Communist Party in a united front kind of situation where we're working with other parties. He says here, the role of the Communist Party. There is no need to have any blueprint worked out for a vanguard. Marx didn't have a blueprint. Lenin didn't have a blueprint. And Stalin didn't have a blueprint either. It depends upon the political maturity of the class and the forces around the party in a given situation in which the proletarian revolution develops and the vanguard functions. To give you an example, he gives an example. The party, the Bolshevik party, in October 1917 was the vanguard of the Russian working class. And as the vanguard, it proceeded to organize the Socialist Revolution. The Communist Party in the United States, being a Communist Party, a party of Lenin and a party of Stalin, is the vanguard of the working class in America. But nobody will conclude that, therefore, we must decide to organize now the Socialist Revolution now in the United States. This, of course, is extreme. It is made purposely so extreme as to show the historical approach to this question of what is a vanguard party and what a vanguard like us can do at different historical times. It always must be a vanguard. But in what sense is it the vanguard? It must always fight shoulder to shoulder in the front ranks of its class for the interest of that working class. That's always the case under all conditions. Second, a Communist Party, while fighting for the daily needs, which means reforms, of the masses as part of that class, must always, by propaganda, by agitation, and by our independent actions show that the workers, the deeper meaning of the struggle, the class struggle, it would show them the next step to take and to work with this aim, that the whole movement, not only we alone, becomes ripe for making these next steps. And I'd like to explain something in that. There are some groups on the left, and one of them I'm thinking of specifically, who always calls for the word revolution. They call themselves the Revolutionary Communist Party. The name of their newspaper is called Revolution. If you read their newspaper, according to them, revolution should have happened a week ago. No understanding that there are different epochs that the working class goes through where it's not possible to carry through a revolution. 
I think that's an example of what Comrade Forster is talking about here. He says, various historical periods. What does the vanguard do in various historical periods? He said, yes, it must be a vanguard, and we must fight shoulder to shoulder with our fellow workers, but we have to look at the conditions. A communist party whose struggle, whose class relations are more acute, more political struggle is more mature, notice the word mature, will play a more leading role than other parties. Although all the parties are destined to play a leading role in the class struggle and in the people's movement generally. Every time we use the word people's movements, we're talking about coalitions of many organizations on an issue. Forster then says, I say this in order to emphasize what has been explained before and Browder before him. Now, remote is seen, all mention of Browder is very positive here when this was written. And Forster was working with Browder. The point is to emphasize that it stands out very deeply. We cannot permit ourselves, allow ourselves, to work in mass organizations like any other member does. We have a special role in the mass organizations, what Comrade Gus Hall called the Communist Plus. We must always work as communists, which means something different and something more. And to further emphasize, while we, as the vanguard, must always endeavor to bring the movement towards its next step, the general movement. Let me discuss the idea of pushing forward the whole movement, the entire movement, and not just ourselves. That's the difference between sectarianism and some groups and us. We cannot just push ourselves. We have to push the whole movement that we're involved in, push it to the left. There was a time when our party and the situation in this country were much less mature than today. This is true. During the 20s, the party was at a different stage. Many people call it an infantile stage. We were a party at that time mainly of propaganda and mainly of agitation and leaders of minority movements, very important ones, movements which played a very great role in making possible the present-day upsurge. For example, some of the movements that we were involved with in the 20s was the Trade Union Unity League and the Trade Union Educational League. These were mainly out cadre involved in the labor movement. In the 30s, we changed. We went to a broader movement called the Congress of Industrial Organizations. In that movement, we were part of a larger movement. We were a leading force, but not the only leading force. And that's the difference. I'm giving you an example of what the comrade is saying here. In the 30s, we were at a different stage. We could more easily afford to make more rapid transitions in the direction from a lower stage to a higher stage. But today, when we have the CIO, we saw that in the 30s, and a new working class movement in America, they're marching in the direction of progress. Yeah. And it doesn't say they're marching in the direction of socialism, but in progress. It has become somewhat different. It becomes possible, not only for us, ourselves, 
and for minority movements to become ready to make the next step. But it must be done properly, and it must be done properly in a correct way to prepare the ground for the whole movement making that next step. And I believe that by carrying forward these policies in the true spirit of the manifesto, the Communist Manifesto, our party can really build itself in this country. So I'd like to stop there. You had mentioned that this was written by Foster, but this was written by Alex Bittleman. Thank you for the correction. So I know that the book was written in 1937. Mention was made that there were two movements or two leadership movements, I believe, or several. Is that correct? There were several attempts by the party to form mass movements. There was more than two. I just gave an example of two, the Trade Union Educational League and the Trade Union Unity League. At the end of the 20s also, there was an unemployed council, and the unemployed council were basically led by the party. And that's what Bittleman is referring to here. I'm very eager to find out your response to the concept of pushing the revolution at one stage or other stages of development. And since he articulated that, it has been over 63 years now. Do you think, as a senior politician of the party, that any progress has been made from the vantage point of a proletarian revolution? On the whole, yes, I do. Let me tell you why. That may surprise people. Remember, we go back to the Paris Commune. That was really the beginning of our ideological movement. And Marx refers to it as that. And he says that there are ebbs and flows of the workers' movement. Ebbs and flows. So like the water from the ocean coming onto the shore. The water comes in, it goes a certain level, and then the water recedes. Look at it that way. Mm. Then another wave comes in, and it goes a little further, and then it recedes. And the next time, and it keeps doing that until it keeps going, going, going. Then at one point, at the end of the day, the water recedes all the way back into the ocean. He calls it ebbs and flows. This is Marx. Ebbs and flows. So I learned through that that the Paris Commune was the beginning, and it lasted 70 days, and it was drowned in blood. The next time it was tried was in the period of 19... 05 and onward, and it was more successful. It lasted in the socialist countries and in the Soviet Union for over 75 years, and then mm -hmm. it ebbed and it went back. The next time it comes back, according to what Marx is showing as nature, the next time it comes back, it's going to be because of the objective conditions change and the reality has changed, it's going to be even greater. So, yes, I don't look at this. It's starting from 1917. I look at it as starting from the Paris Commune. That's why I see it beginning. And we've come a long way since then. We have now millions of members that are people that are in communist parties, which we didn't have then. And we've gone through ebbs and flows. So we went through periods of advancement and periods of attraction. Yes. Thank you. There were a couple of really good things in the text that I noticed. 
one of them was the no need for a blueprint in a vanguard party, that we should be principled, radical pragmatists in our actions and fighting for the working class. It was interesting that we did so well in the 30s with the CIO. How could we prepare the ground today to bring that ebb back to shore? The world today is very different than it was in the 30s. Remember, the communists had proven through organization that they were the top dog in the left. It wasn't the Socialist Party anymore. The Communist Party actually replaced the Socialist Party because of the Russian Revolution and World War I. The communists were opposed to World War I as a war of imperialism, and they supported the 1917 October Revolution, where other people who claimed they were left didn't. And the militancy of the party in the 20s actually was positive to a certain extent, and it gave rise to the more matureness of the 30s. Like all children, we go through steps. And we notice some of us are more militant when we're younger, and as we get older, we mellow a little. Some people mellow too much, and they actually go out of the whole working class movement, and they actually materialize on the other side of the fence. But some of us do learn through our maturity, and we now see things, in my opinion, in a more mature light. So your question is, how can we do it again? Remember what happened after 1991. There was complete demoralization throughout the whole communist movement. Complete. Many parties went out of existence within a year or two. They said, we're no longer communists. We're disillusioned. But there was a rebuilding that began in that period. People started to analyze all over again what happened over the last 40 years, what went wrong. And one of the books I recommend to everyone, Socialism Betrayed. You should really get that book, comments, write it down, get it. That book is excellent to explain how the rot, there was a rot, ROT, that was developing within the party. And it came from different sources. It just didn't come from one source. It started with the attack on Comrade Stalin by Comrade Khrushchev and escalated into a disillusionment in the communist movement with the Sino-Soviet split, which did not help us. Contrary to the belief of Maoists, it did not help us. That split hurt us. Remember what happened with Browder, 1943. Dissolved the party. There were people in the party leadership who disagreed. But when we had a party discussion, democratic centralism, they lost out. They lost out. So instead of leaving the party, picking up their marbles, and they said, we lost this round and going home, they stayed in. People like Forster stayed in. And when there was a fight back against the revisionism, the liquidationism of Browder at the time, we were able to succeed. We had help from international communist parties. The French party, which was solid at the time, after fighting the resistance movement, the partisan movement against German Nazism and occupation, they were steeled in that. So they helped us. Jacques Duclos was the famous member of the French parliament who did that. So before our party started, the Greek Communist Party reevaluated their whole position since 1956, when Khrushchev came out with his denunciation. 
the whole Greek party changed their view. That was the beginning of a change, in my view, in my view, of the international communist movement. We are now at the point of rebuilding. We are now at the point of starting a new party, working for our next Congress, integrating the many, many, many people who have applied for membership in our party. In the 30s, why didn't we try and build off of that and try and start the revolution back then? That's a good question. It was not ripe. Very simple. It was not ripe. If we would have had a revolution then, remember what was going on in this country at the time. The right-wing forces tried to overthrow, if anybody doesn't know this, the Roosevelt administration. They tried to send a military in and overthrow the government. So the right was doing that. We, at the time, were just beginning to work with the Roosevelt administration. I believe it was correct that we didn't fall to adventurism and have a revolution then, which most probably, because of the forces, would have been drowned in blood. The military was still behind Wall Street. It was still intact. Plus, you had the people on the right who were pushing to get rid of the central government from the right. It would have definitely failed, in my opinion. I don't know if people agree with that, but my understanding is would never have succeeded. And what happened with Roosevelt, where he saved capitalism with bandages for socialism, we should not look back in the year 2021 or 2060 or 1960, where people on the left were saying, Roosevelt saved capitalism and we should have been more forceful. That's an incorrect dialectical analysis of the forces on both sides. In the 90s, I'm glad you mentioned the Greek party. And then also there's another party in Korea, which is very interesting. I think this is interesting for Americans to know this because we think that these people don't know anything and they live under rocks and eat dogs and stuff. There's a great text by Kim Jong-il and it's called Socialism Isn't Science. And I recommend that everyone read Socialism Betrayed, and then also this Kim Jong-il book. In the 1950s, there was truth to Joseph McCarthy's accusations that there were communists in the State Department. And Roosevelt opened up the doors to that. Remember, people like Francis Perkins were very progressive. Remember, Eleanor Roosevelt was a keynote speaker at the Young Communist League meetings that had changed their name during the war to American Youth for Democracy. That was the YCL that changed its name. It was still the same animal, but it broadened its name. So there was a lot of truth in that. And that's why Reagan, when he came into office, he said he wanted to get rid of the last 35 years. So if you go from 1980 and you go back 35 years, what do you come into? the Roosevelt administration. So without saying the words, that's what Reagan was talking about. And the first thing Reagan did was privatize all the national hospitals in the country. We had one here in Staten Island. So I just want to mention Michael Harrington's book, Socialism. Michael Harrington was the father of DSA, Democratic Socialists of America. He's the father. He spawned an organization called DSOC. Democratic Socialist Organizing Committee, and that became DSA. In his book, which is over 300 pages, called Socialism, he says in his book, and he's an enemy of the communist movement, remember that, 
Social Democrat. He said that the reason why we had a McCarthy period was because the third largest political force in this country in the 1940s was the Communist Party. After the Democrats and the Republicans was a communist. Could you imagine what that meant if we had that today? Where would we be today? Would we already have a national bank with low interest rates? Would we already have Medicare for all? Many, many things. Because what they were going on, what the Scandinavian countries had at one point, and the national health care that England has and that Canada has, we don't have that here because we took a different road. So... The question originally, the revolutionary movement was not at that point. There were too many forces against us. But we were on the advance. We were on the offensive. We were not on the defensive the way we have been recently. When you were speaking about post-1991 and the rebuilding of the communist movement, and that's sort of where we've been since just trying to rebuild it, I distinctly remember reading about one particular event in Pyongyang the Pyongyang Declaration. I don't know much about that beyond that it existed post-91. I'll tell you what came out of it that's important. It was the beginning on an international level of a fight back. Remember, there was a fantastic youth festival in 1989 in North Korea capital, Pyongyang, and it was very successful. Everybody was there. I have a booklet from that festival. And it was a time when even the CP, USA, had supported North Korea. You all know that the CP, USA, went through a period in early 2000s and in late 1990s opposing North Korea. Their newspaper had articles attacking North Korea on the issue of nuclear weapons. The only other party that took an anti-North Korea position was the Japanese Communist Party. So those are the two parties that began that. But the Young Yang was an international declaration that was the beginning. Remember what happened in the CP, USA. In 1991, there was a declaration and the initiative that was signed in the CP where they broke away from the CP and they formed a new formation. didn't even have the word communist in it. They called themselves Committees of Correspondence for Socialism and Democracy. And that group was led by many of the black leadership of the party. James Jackson, Angela Davis, Tanya Davis, and the people from her club. James Steele, who was the head of the YCL. They're the ones that left, and they left on the issue of Gorbachev. They supported Gorbachev's reforms. The other thing is they were opposed to the leadership of Gus Hall. And that has to be looked at in a complete picture. Because on one hand, you had a regrouping starting around the Young Yang Declaration and around the Greek Party. On the other hand, you had a further consolidation against those people who are anti-communist, who are anti-Marxist-Leninist. And it's a whole thing that people have to understand. And the key word is everything was a movement. Everything was in chaos. The center was falling apart. People were going to the left and the right. Like chemistry... The centrifuge, if that's what it's called, when you put your test tubes in there, and when you spin it very fast, everything goes to the extremities. Back to the text. Now, remember, this was written in 37, when we were in the midst of everything. Comrade Browder, in his report, called The Need for Building a Mass Party. 
Comrade Browder's report said that the fact that our party is not growing as it should grow, and that our newspaper, the Daily Worker, which was a daily paper, one of the best papers in the country, and a communist paper at that, is growing slowly. It is an intolerable situation. I should like every comrade to take back home from this conference exactly this fact. And here it is. That it is an intolerable situation, and the situation must be changed. We have to make our party understand. Why is it on the same general abstract ground that it is intolerable? Question mark. And are there some more immediate and more acute reasons why it is intolerable? I want to communicate to you a certain opinion related to this problem given to me by a sympathizer, not a member, a sympathizer of our party, a very intelligent person and very helpful to the party in many ways. Friend in the best sense of that word, friend. And he wanted to know why it is that communists are so anxious about getting more members. Does that sound familiar to everybody on this phone? Why we're so anxious about getting more members to the party. So this comrade said, you have about 40,000. Listen to this. Conscious communists, well-organized, well-disciplined. Those were the cadre of the day. That's the cadre. They are really leaders. As we said many times, cadre means future leaders and present leaders. They are really leaders. They're not just rank and file people. You have a press, a newspaper. You have a program, means the party. And we have a political strategy which commands attention among wide masses throughout the country, even throughout the world. And you are making your general political influence very strongly felt in many places thus enabling the movement in general to go in the correct direction. Gus Hall said something once that stayed in my mind, and I never really forgot that. He said, it's not the numbers of the party. It's the ripple, the ripple effects that we have, the people that we influence who are not members of the party but are close to the party, are sympathizers who are not joining for one reason or another. He says, but these people are part of our ripple effect. And he said, you take a rock and you throw it across a lake and you'll see the ripples go way, way, way far out from where the rock sank down to the bottom of the lake. The ripples keep going. That's what we have to do. So that's why we set up mass organizations. Our numbers and our influence is not just in the party itself. It's in the mass groups and the actions and the campaigns that the party participated in. I'm finding out through the Internet what people are telling me, why people are coming to us in the Internet. They said they hear only good things about the party. Now, be careful with that, because that means the other shoe may drop, comrades. There's always one or two people in our movement who's not really with us. They're working indirectly, not consciously, for other forces. So they may spread a rumor, and it will catch on like flyer, so right now, people are coming to us through word of mouth. People are coming to us because they know other people in the party. And we're in a great growth. We keep growing every day. So the issue to get out of this is the ripple effect, not the numbers, but the ripple effect. Then he mentions, this friend said, the general direction in which the CIO, Congress of Industrial Organization, is going 
is in the direction in which you would like it to go? That was a question. And the answer was yes. The CIO was a successful campaign led by non-communists and communists working together against those anti-communists in the labor movement. And we succeeded. We failed in the 1920, because it was too narrow and sectarian, when we had the Trade Union Unity League. But we succeeded with the CIO. So much so that the government, in 1947, passed legislation that said of the communist CIO unions that were led by Communist Party leadership, that there were 18 unions founded, and out of the 18, 11 were led by communists. This is according to the government of the U.S. Therefore, according to Truman and other forces, we have to destroy that communist element. Again, similar to the Michael Harrington. Don't forget the Michael Harrington quote, that we were the third largest political force in this country, and that's why the Democrats and the Republicans joined forces in the 1950s to destroy this party. So the same comrade says, why are you so anxious about the slow growth of the party? The social revolution is not yet around the corner. For the present time, you can fulfill all of our important tasks as communists with the approximate number that we have. This is another quote. If you begin to grow, since even from your own point of view, you will have to work with progressive allies, will these allies not become fearful of a larger party? Would it not be better strategy to remain about your present size and still have the influence over the whole movement sufficiently by your correct policies. Of course, you have got to recruit, but why be so impatient about it? And the author, Beetleman, says, I found the exposition of this point very important from this, that it contains a certain plausibility that truth and untruth are so well mixed that I should not be surprised to find that this is not only the viewpoint of this sympathizer, but it's actually the viewpoint of many other sympathizers with the same point of view. That's why they're not joining the party. They just sympathize. Perhaps some within our own party itself hold this view. There may be a feeling that, well, of course we want to be a bigger party. Who doesn't want to be a bigger party? But why is it so essential? that we must go ahead and become bigger. Well, it is necessary, and he gives an example. Let me go back to Engels. Engels, he's going back to, and what he thought was the particular nature of the American labor movement. This is Engels on the American labor movement. He said, one thing that distinguishes the American labor movement from all the other countries' labor movement at that time was that the American working class has been making numerous starts, numerous beginnings, upsurges, and tremendous importance in scope, in militancy, and in revolutionary display of instinct. And they suffered just as many setbacks, getting back to the ebbs and the flows, comrades, the ebbs and the flows. We know that that is the truth. And then Engels said, why was it so? And he answers it himself, because the big mass movements of the American working class lacked the backbone of a revolutionary party, the vanguard. 
Engels continues, of course, setbacks are inevitable, though we always fight against setbacks. But when there is a revolutionary party within our class, the setbacks will not occur so many times as they do. And when they do occur, they will not be so disastrous. But when there is no revolutionary party within the working class, then any kind of setbacks will be disastrous. Today, we are faced with an upsurge. He's talking about in the 30s with the American working class. We never saw this upsurge, unseen and unheard in the U.S. before. An upsurge which comrade Dimitrov, now he's quoting Dimitrov, is able to characterize as the birth of the American working class as a class. That is very interesting observation. Dimitrov says what we're looking at now in the 30s is the birth of the American working class as a class. Objective conditions today, in the 30s, if we see them nationally and if we view them internationally, we cannot separate the two, nationally and internationally. They're very favorable for the continued growth of a new working class into a position, both politically and organizationally, of continued power and strength. That's why we had the McCarthy period. That's the answer right there. Yet it is perfectly just to ask, are we guarding ourselves against setbacks? No, we are not. This is an admission in the 30s. Things may take place which we cannot foresee, but we can see the strong reactionary power and the strength in our country. There is plenty of reserve power plenty of economic and political power for reaction to give us plenty of headaches and troubles in the coming months and years. Look at Trump and what he represents. Isn't that reservoir, the people that go to his rallies, the white chauvinist people that go to his rallies who feel like they've been disenfranchised from society by the advancement of women, LGB, trans, ethnic communities. He's saying it right here. It's the same thing. We are not insured against such setbacks, even for this tremendous change that is taking place in our country today, 1937. And if we will remember the history of the American labor movement and the lessons from that history, then we will realize that's the reason why it is important to have a bigger Communist Party, so that it could cement and push forward the present upsurge of the left for its success and thus bring nearer the socialist revolution, which is what we're about. It is, I believe, for this reason that Comrade Browder in his report to the National Committee, 1937, and Comrade Forster in his speech and the political resolution before us at this Congress says that the slow growth of the party and the slow growth of our paper is not acceptable, it's intolerable. That we have to begin to build a party and to make it a mass party. Let me explain that in one sentence. Gus Hall said something to me. He was my real teacher in a lot of ways. He said, people that are coming to us are not communists. That may be shocking to people on this phone call. He said, these are people who want to be communists. 
and they're coming to learn. They want to be communists, and they're coming to learn. They are not communists. They have baggage, which they're carrying with them from all their years in bourgeois society against the communists, against the working class, against minorities, against the oppressed. This is all baggage that they got through bourgeois society. He said the party will be built and the workers' subscription will be built if every party member and every party organization makes this one of their main tasks. Main task. And this is in 37, when we had 40,000 people. Eventually, at the end of the Popular Front, the ripple effect of who we influenced was over 180,000, 200,000 people. That's a big change in the period of 10 years. People do want to be communists. In my spare time, I mentor the local high school robotics team, and every day I'm always having some conversation with some of the youth about communism, and everyone is very open about it. We need the party to take these people who want to be communists and develop them into full-time communists. Excellent. And the best place, everybody in this phone call knows this, if they've been involved. The best place is inside this party. I can't tell you how many people have told me, and everybody in between, that they learned more by being in this party than being out of this party for three or four years. They learned more a few months in this party by taking leadership positions. Since the people who join our party are going to be baby leftists, don't judge them if they have an opinion which you disagree with. Don't conduct yourself as an elitist, and you can see these people become more mature leftists. Self-criticism on my part, but I want you to understand why. I have done that many times myself. Ever hear the word exasperated? When I hear some new person say something which I feel, how can they say such a thing? They should have learned that 30 years ago. But these comments are only 18 years old. So I'm looking at the world through my prism, 73, been doing this for over 60 years, and I have to be more understanding that new people come are not at the level that I am after 50 or 60 years. The interrelationship between the party and the mass movement, very important. This was made in 37. I read the same thing in 1970s by Henry Winston, which he said, you build the party, you build the mass movement. If you build the mass movement, you're building the party. Dichotomy between the two, the symbiotic relationship between the two. When you talked about a coup in the government during FDR, were you talking about the business plot? Yes. It happened. It's in history. It failed. One of the leaders of it was Smudley Butler. The DuPonts were involved in trying to organize that business plot. I got that from a book called DuPont Dynasty by Gerard Colby. I heard that Henry Wallace had some communists in yes, his like, yes. group. I was wondering if he was himself communist leader. No, he was not a communist comrade. He was a fellow traveler. He was not a communist. He was head of the yes. agricultural department. He was a Midwestern New Deal liberal. I'll see you next class. Thank you for watching this full-length class from the People's School for Marxist-Leninist Studies. For more information, or if you're interested in attending classes, visit our website, check out our YouTube channel, or email info at psmls.org.